Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We look ahead to the 2019 Formula 2 season and ask, is Mick Schumacher the real deal? With the top three drivers from last year's field all racing in Formula 1 this season, Formula 2's credibility as a proving ground for drivers on the brink of the big time has never been higher. But can this year's crop possibly live up to the one that brought us George Russell, Lando Norris and Alex Albon? And is Mick Schumacher up to the challenge of filling their shoes? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead not just to this weekend's opening round in Bahrain, but the whole season, is first RF2 correspondent Jack Benyon. Are you raring to go? I am ready to go. I've got my odd socks on today for World Down Syndrome Awareness Day, and uh, I'm very excited about that. And I'm looking forward to discussing the the F2 season ahead. You've definitely given away where we've recorded it, when we've recorded this as well. Ah, yes, I have given away the day. The smoke and mirrors have been re- removed. Exactly, but it's a good cause, so I don't have a problem with that. Well done for your for your uh, worthy cause. Socks. Thank you. They're also they're also the American flag, which works quite well for today, as uh, Juan Manuel Correa has been announced as a Alfa Romeo reserve driver, one of our F2 drivers. Uh, very much so. He's certainly a driver we will 
briefly mention later in the podcast. Not sure how much we'll uh, we'll talk about him, but uh, but there we go. Now also joining me is junior single seater specialist Marcus Simmons, very familiar with a lot of the drivers in Formula Two field. I'm a little bit concerned though because you are a legendary Formula Three journalist and. Formula 3 kind of as we know it it's sort of ceasing to be now obviously there is Formula 3 that's amalgamated with GP3 but it's single make and kind of old F3 in the front line doesn't really exist anymore does it I'm a bit worried you might be lost well legendary only to you Ed but um ah, to many <laughs> maybe infamous <laughs> um yeah I mean the the new FIA Formula 3 championship is is really uh I just yeah, it's it's GP3 under a, under a new identity. Um, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, because um, GP3 produced a lot of good drivers over the years. But the, it's a very very different concept. We will start with you, Marcus, with a, a bit of an F3 rooted question because there's a huge amount of attention on Mick Schumacher, son of Michael Schumacher, graduates to F2 with Prima Racing this year. Of course, very successful driver in F3. But what should we expect from him? Um, what you should expect, I think, is um, flashes of really good performance, um, potentially potentially the odd run at pole position, um, a few podiums over the year, may, maybe a win or two. Um, if he's not quite um, up to that level, then definitely a contender for reverse grid wins. Um, just as you would normally expect someone who's won the European F3 championship to to do in their first formula 2 season i don't i don't see him as being a, an out and out favorite by any means you you you'd apply that to uh, a driver like nick de Vries. um and yeah, what what we have to remember is that uh, the championship he won last year um formula 3 um it had 11 different winners over the season and really in a in a championship that doesn't have any gimmicks like reverse grids or um or success ballast or or whatever um there shouldn't be 11 different winners over the season um it's that to me is a mark that it wasn't a particularly outstanding year there's there, lots of decent lo- drivers but of, no standouts exactly and there were some um potentially the standout drivers are the ones who were rookies or in their first year of the championship last year, who, given a second year, would have then looked really fantastic. Um, and um, yeah, people people hark back to, when people talk of classic F three seasons. They talk of uh, the 1983 British Championship between Ayrton Senna and Martin Brundle, and uh, and that was a year where those two drivers won all but two of the races, and and one that they didn't win was when they took each other out. And another one they didn't win was when they ran uh, illegal tyres because there was a there was a concurrent European Championship race and they both decided to do that instead. So they went on the control tyre. So yeah, pe- people talk of classic seasons in in of Formula Three as being ones where there are two or three absolute standout drivers who everyone knows are going to the top. But I did I didn't see that in um, in the European F three Championship last year. And obviously a lot of pressure on. Mick Schumacher, given who he is and uh, and, and the family name and everything, and do you think that has any kind of impact on him? It means there's a lot of attention on him. There were lots of rumours swirling around last year when he had that strong run towards the end of the season about how level the playing field was, etc. I guess inevitably a driver like that will attract those kind of that kind of talk, etc. 
Yeah, you're you're right. Um, I mean, as far as the the pressure and expectation of the name, um, the the people around Schumacher, you know, his family and his management, um, and the the Prima team as well, did a very good job of insulating him from that. Um, and the there were no uh, media um, sessions or anything like that, other than press conferences. So, so he was he was kept well away from that. And and the the prime reason for that was um, the the German the German tabloids. I mean, they're as bad as the British tabloids. So they obviously wanted to just protect him, which is which is absolutely it's inevitable. Under- just be endless questions about yeah, about his father's condition. That, that. That's right. Yeah. So they did a they did a very good job of that, even if it was frustrating for the specialists like us. Um, and and that kept him um, nicely protected from from the expectation and and all that kind of thing. And um, towards the towards the end of the season, they um, they did lift it, and there were some sessions at Hockenheim at the final round, um, which, um, funnily enough, um, although it was the weekend he he won the championship, um, he had a slight dip in form that weekend. But but then that often happens when someone only has to do the minimum to win the championship and there is, you get some slightly nervous steps. But um, yeah, going back to um, what you were mentioning about his, his eye-opening form in the second half of the season, and it did it did cause a lot of rumours to be swirling around the paddock. And uh, it's I, I don't think the truth is going to come out for many years. And... and, um, it, and whether whether there was anything going on we we just can't say all i can say is that prema um are a team who pride themselves on providing top equipment to all their drivers so so i would only i would only think that if anything has happened it would be something completely outside of their um of their wishes or control um but um there did seem to be a little bit of a split between the drivers towards the end of the year and Robert Schwartzman was the other Prima driver who was performing exceptionally well at the end of the year and at the same time um, the other three Marcus Armstrong, Ralph Aaron and Guan Yu Zhu their form came inconsistent or mediocre um, and that was a very difficult thing to, to put your finger on and I did talk to one of the drivers um, towards the end of the year I was just, I was just asking you know have, have you got to the bottom of what was going on? And uh, and the answer was that um, that if if I if he told me, then he would probably uh, be facing the end of his career. So um, that to me suggested that there there are some politics going on in the background. Although having said that, I'm sure that nothing illegal was done. But we should say, in fairness to Mick Schumacher, is that the kind of step in form, and this is based on basically following your coverage of the championship that he did kind of take a step in qualifying pace so the race pace had always been a fair bit stronger shall we say so there was also you know a driver adapting and learning and, and getting the best out of themselves as well so you know he, ha- he is clearly a, a good driver yeah exactly yeah that's <clears throat> that's why um that's why it's a shame that um uh, that these um whispers were coming up towards the end of last season because he is um, he is a good driver. Um, he's he's learnt well. He works hard. Um, he's popular with the team. Um, we'd we'd all we'd all like a driver like that to do well because he's actually a nice chap as well. Um, so um, what what is important is that um, his 
career is seen to be one where he's gaining his results because of because of his talent and I'm sure I'm sure that he's capable of um, getting some good results in Formula 2. Are you interested to see how Schumacher gets on, Jack? What are you expecting from him in line with what Marcus is in terms of, you know, getting consistent results, a few podiums, maybe nick a, nick a win later in the season or a, or a Sunday victory with a top eight reverse grid? I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Mick gets on. I think the biggest thing to, to consider with F2, pretty much with any driver at all times, is that the, the most important thing is to get the best out of the Pirelli tyres. Obviously, Mick is is following that step that many have made coming from the European F3 Championship on the quite durable Hankooks. Very difficult to manage Pirellis. The biggest problem is you don't get any sensors on the tyres. So during races, you can't monitor temperature. So the drivers have to warm up the tyres on feel and the Pirellis have a very narrow window to get that tyre in. Now, we've already heard from Mick and Rene Rene Rosan from uh, Prima as well that, that Mick has struggled at times to adapt to the Pirellis in testing. That's nothing new, not a surprising thing at all for a, for a driver coming from European F3 to, to have a few problems with a Pirelli. So it's going to be interesting to see how he manages that. And the other thing is the, the amount of track time that, that the guys get in F2 and the variable track conditions they get. So uh, pr- def- definitely along with the getting the tyres into the right window, the, mo- the, the second most important thing to remember about F2 is the practice session will be done on the, on the medium tyre that weekend and then they'll go into the qualifying quite often, sort of six, seven, eight hours apart. So the conditions will be completely different. And then they'll be onto a soft tyre that they won't have used so far in that weekend. So the ability to adapt and to be on the pace straight away against some really tough junior single-seater opposition is really what makes uh, you know F2 that sort of that that place where you, you can really craft some some brilliant drivers. Because some would argue that you don't have to be the best driver to do well in F2, but that adapt adapting to, to difficult consequences is 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 the hallmark of a you know any good driver so we've seen Lando Norris George Russell Alex Alban all graduate to F1 as you alluded to at the start and um, funnily enough I think the this F2 season is going to be very similar to how Marcus described last year's F3 season with the 11 winners you were mentioning doesn't always show the sign of a good F2 season I think we've got some good drivers in this F2 championship I, I really do and I think there's there's some who you know could possibly make that next step but in terms of last year you can't judge this F2 field based on what we were looking at last year you know George Russell went straight from G- winning GP3 into F- into F2 won F2 um, you know it's re- it's a real shame he's gone into that Williams because I think if he'd gone into a, a better team he could have done a fantastic job against a strong teammate I think he's the, the real deal Lando I think we discussed this the other day, Ed. I think Lando had a, a few difficulties with the qualifying, which has never really happened in his career before. And I think a lot of that was getting the Pirellis into the right window and, and struggling with that through the season. Um, and Alex Albon was a really interesting concept because he wasn't really anyone picked out as a favourite and sort of uh, came on massively through the season, really buoyed by this Dams team that really gave him the encouragement that he needed to, to push on and find that next step, which was obviously funnily enough, jumped him into the best F1 seat despite uh, Lando and George outperforming him for most of the season. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it is going to be a very interesting season. We haven't got those standout characters that we had last year, but we've got a lot of drivers on an equal footing and that should make for some really interesting battles on track. Well, we'll get on to some of those drivers in a moment. Let's hear from Mick Schumacher now in this interview put out by Prima Racing recently and he talks about his preparation objectives for the year adapting to f2 the inevitable comparisons to his father so we'll hear from mick schumacher and then we'll move on to part two where we can talk a little bit about the the pre-season favorites and how testing's gone how did i prepare myself over the winter well i guess like many racing drivers we train a lot i did uh some different things this year uh such as maybe a bit of surfing a bit of running 
biking. I went to a warmer place to be able to do that. So uh, it was for sure nice. Uh, and then, yeah, a lot of gym, neck training. I think the, the really the special parts we had to do for, for getting 100% prepared. I feel 110 prepared. So, uh, you know, that's very good. And I feel just motivated to get back into the car now. My goal for this year is, I think, even more so this year to learn as much as possible. Uh, you know, gather all those informations around me, uh, work with as many people as I can to be able to, to learn from everyone and, uh, and use those informations for my, for my good. And uh, so, you know, it's going to be a bit of a different challenge this year. Uh, we have a lot more people uh, surrounding the car. So that's going to be uh, for sure nice and, and different. So I guess that's something we have to get used to. To, to work with so many individuals and you know every individual has his work to do on the car and uh, I think to be able to work with all of them together in the team is going to be very nice and very special so to, to be able to get a bond to them is I think very important uh, especially at the beginning of the year. My first impressions of F2 was uh, very good. It was very good to, to feel how the tire degrades and, uh, and how the tire works. Um, therefore, you know, I'm very curious about how, how the, the real tires will work, as, um, as in the right temperatures, as the right grip on, on track and everything. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. The F2 car itself looks a lot more aggressive in, in one way. It looks a lot faster. Uh, than, than the F3. Um, it has just, you know, more pointy edges and, and that kind of special size as well because it's very big in total, the car. So it looks a lot, lot closer to an F1 car in, in a way. So uh, that's something uh, that, are, that, you know, it's good to see on track. I think the step itself isn't that huge. You know, okay, we do, uh, in, in terms of lap times, we're quite a bit quicker. Um, than F3, but it's more so understanding the tire. Um, you have to understand the tire at 100% and you, you can be sure that you will do a good job. Um, so I think that that will be the most difficult part in a way to, to understand and, and also to, you know, to, to grow with. Because I think that the tire will be one of the biggest challenges this year. Um, even though Working with the team as close as we do in F2 now, I think, is also uh, a good challenge, and it's something that you can you can kind of get into into knowing, you know, for maybe some future uh, steps or whatever. Uh, that is something you get a first information, a first uh, feeling for. So that's very good. So in terms of difference in driving, the F2 car is a lot heavier, first of all. So uh, the low-speed corners, the car is a bit lazier. So you have to really, uh, you know, work the car a bit around the corner uh, to, to get that rotation in. Whereas the F3 was, yeah, quite a bit lighter, so it, 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 it reacts a lot faster as well. So you could uh, slingshot through chicanes a lot faster um, in, in low speed. Um, otherwise, in high speed, we have a lot more downforce with the F2, but a lot more speed as well. So the speeds in the corner itself in high speed are a lot greater and uh, therefore, yeah, we, we have to work the car a lot more. I'm part of the Ferrari Drive Academy this year, which for me in, in the step I am now, so the F2 step, is very positive. I can learn so much from Ferrari because they have so much experience. Uh, 
And so that's going to be a point where I want to work with them uh, to be achieving the maximum I can. The first impressions I had from Ferrari were so heart-opening, you know, welcoming me uh, in a family which was always part of, of my family. So I guess, uh, you know, the combination of, of both was very, very positive and, and yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Being compared to my father was never a problem for me, as it's pretty simple. For me, being compared to the best driver in F1 history is the goal, you know, you want to achieve. And uh, to have that as my, my idol and my father is, uh, is something very special and I feel honored to be, to be compared to him because uh, I can just learn and, and try to improve. Well, before we return to the world of Formula 2, it's time for an update on the progress of the Autosport team in IGP Manager, which is available to download on iOS and Android. You find our sign-up link in the uh, in the description of the show, notes on your podcast downloader. If you have a look there, you'll be able to click through and, uh, and sign up. It's well worth doing. It's also available in browser as well, well worth a go. So we had an online poll to decide whether we would work on the braking or the the handling in terms of upgrades. It was quite close at times. It looked like braking might get it, but in the end we went for the handling upgrade, handling one of the many things you can focus on rather than different parts of the car. You can focus on characteristics, which will obviously simulate improving all sorts of areas of the car. So you can go for acceleration, braking, cooling, downforce, fuel economy, handling, reliability tyre economy and yeah we've gone for handling based on our twitter vote on our at autosport account so that put us into the chinese grand prix with a improved car and an improved result actually after finishing 16th and last in the first two races we managed to finish 15th so we would call that incremental progress i always think you can only improve by putting one foot in front of the other step by step as they say but the pressure the pressure is on and there's quite a few areas of the car we still need to improve but it's a it's a great league there's been some really good racing actually some uh, some serious teams in the uh, in the igp league that we're uh, trying to look respectable in but currently firmly at the back and looking at ways of of improving again resisting the temptation to to blame the driver but we're all prepped for the next race coming up which will appropriately enough be in Bahrain but that will be next week it's uh you know an interesting uh, interesting circuit it could be a bit of a challenge because it's quite high on fuel consumption one of the you can look at the characteristics of the circuit before the race to see what your overtaking's like, the track surfaces like, the tyre wear's like, and the fuel consumption. So it's high on fuel consumption. I see our car is rated one on fuel consumption, so shall be speaking to our technical director about that particular challenge because we do need to see some uh, improvement in that regard. Our technical director, incidentally, is named Manuel Sanchez, and uh, obviously under pressure as you recruit staff, technical directors, chief designers, we've got a doctor to look after the uh, after the drivers, etc. So yeah, we're gradually getting on top of it myself and my management team for it is not a single-handed effort it's a it's very much a, a team effort at also sport we're working on on getting ourselves more competitive and uh, hoping to fight for points fairly shortly although i think now we're at the point where we're describing the first full race of the season as an extended test and then when we get to spain new upgrades there that's when we'll really know what will happen and we'll really be able to show our performance so uh, again i'm sounding like a, a real life team principal there but uh, yeah it's well worth uh, it's well worth a go it's a uh, an engrossing and addictive game you kind of 
when you're struggling at the back, it, it does it does hurt just like in, in reality. So uh, yeah, download IGP Manager on iOS and Android. Uh, check for our sign up link and see if you can do a little bit better than us. There's a lot of teams that do a lot better than uh, than I've been doing, so uh, it is possible. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep plugging away. And uh, after a difficult start, we're confident we're going to come through as the season progresses. So download IGP Manager now. Well, Jack Benyon, we've had six days of pre-season testing in Spain, spread out across Jerez and Barcelona. So who's been setting the eye-catching times and who are who are your title favourites? Well, Marcus alluded to Nick De Ries as being a favourite early on. I think it's hard to look past him looking at the pre-season testing times. He topped all the days apart from two. So we had a, a three-day test in Jerez and a three-day test in Barcelona. The only other drivers to, to top times at any point were Sergio Setacamera, who drives for Dams. I'm sure we'll talk about him in a minute. And... Also, Mick Schumacher, who we've spoken about at length already. So uh, the, the, these names seem to be keep, keep cropping up, don't they? The, the, the same kind of names are cropping up. Nick um, showing a lot of pace, uh, switched from from Prima he was with last year, and now he's with ART Grand Prix, driving the, the car that George Russell took to the title last year. So um, there's going to be no problem with the, with the machinery he's going to have underneath him this year. Uh, I think a lot of people wanted him to do to well, we're expecting him to do better last year, and he set some brilliant pole position times. I've got to say the 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 Budapest pole that he set and uh, at Spa as well were absolutely fantastic. When he hooked up that Prima car, I think he was pretty much untouchable because the combination of him and that car were, were absolutely brilliant. But just a lack of consistency through the season, a few silly mistakes, um, yeah, a little bit of bad luck as well. Um, and, and that really hampered his season. And when you're fighting against people like Russell, Norris, Alban, you really can't afford to be having these inconsistent weekends where you're, where you're dropping a lot of points. So there's not really any excuses for him this year. He's going into a car that we know is going to be very, very quick with a good base setup, which is key for F2 for the reasons that we talked about before about needing to adapt quickly. If you've got that good base setup in, then you know it's easier to make small changes and, and to really get the car in the right window. So that that base setup that ART have got is is, is very good, and uh, Nick should be uh, Nick should be definitely be a front runner. So, I guess as he's the highest ranked returning driver from last year he was fourth in the championship last year the interesting thing with De Vries for me is he's always been a quick driver but he he always strikes me as a driver who maybe struggles a tiny bit for that consistency over a season that's maybe been his undoing so is that is that the key for him this year that he needs to make sure that the that the bad weekends are are better because we know his good weekends are going to be very good 100 percent. Uh, i think the you know as an f2 driver you've got to be averaging 20 points a weekend if you want to win the championship i think that's the the kind of baseline you've, you've got to go for how many points for a feature race win 25. Okay. So you need to you, you know, basically need to be six. you need to average across the course of a season. Obviously, weekends go up and down and you're going to you're going to have retirements and and bad reliability and stuff like that, but I think, you know, to be averaging 20 to I think Russell was about about 22. So, if you can be about that, then you know you're going to be a championship contender and and like you said, Nick's struggled sometimes with consistency, but you know, this is his third season of F2 now and there's not really any excuses after that. He's been fighting against some some good opposition. He's been with some very good teams. Um, he, he's had very good opposition, and at this point now, the lessons have got to be learned. And if you if you're a driver looking to take that next step, and you know if F1 is the goal for for Nick, then this season really has to be a, a dominant display of taking over poles, fastest laps, wins. He needs to really come out firing and, and show that that he can uh, you know he can he can stand the heat and that he can perform under pressure. Because what we've had with with the likes of of Russell, I mean. All you can do is judge from from last season on most F1 teams' basis. The F1 teams are looking at what happened in F2 last year, not what happened in F2 three or four years ago. And last year we had, Alban excluded, we had Norris and Russell, two rookies who came into the championship, did really well, dominated the season, have gone straight into F1. So now the F1 teams, they're, they're looking at rookies who are coming in and doing very well. And they're sort of looking at drivers 
two or three seasons into their career and thinking, why haven't they won straight away like like George Orlando have? You know, what's wrong there? What's what's happening? So it's a it's a difficult one for Nick to to be going into his third season. We've got a few drivers there actually on the grid who are going into their third fourth season. So for me, for them to really make that next step, they have to be completely dominant, or it's not going to be enough for them. So if you set De Vries as favourite, the other driver you mentioned was Seth Kamara, and I suppose we should bring uh, Marcus on this. Obviously, you know him from F3. He was a Red Bull-affiliated driver in F3. He's no longer Red Bull driver. So what can you tell us about Sergio Seth Kamara and what you've seen of him in, in F2? I know Jack's <laughs> yeah. quite, quite a fan of, uh, of Seth Kamara. Yeah, <clears throat> he is, and, and justifiably so. And, um, well, that was something that we that we saw flashes of in Formula 3. So he spent um, he spent two years in the... European Championship driving for Motor Park. The first year um, was promising and that got him the Red Bull Junior support for his second year. Um, now, there were there were occasions where he was absolutely blinding and you, you just couldn't fault him at all. He would set an unbeatable lap time. Um, there are other occasions where he'd be mired in the middle of the pack for no obvious reason. It, it could even be could even be the same day on the same track just a different qualifying session and there did there did seem to be uh, a question mark over his his mental strength um because you know, the the fluctuations in performance had no rhyme or reason to them and you wondered whether having done well in one session he was then applying the pressure to himself and underperforming as a result of that um there were a few mistakes as well um he was actually very unlucky in his um, season as a Red Bull junior in Formula 3 with engine unreliability um, but then other drivers in the same team weren't having engine unreliability um, and you, you just really wondered okay he's brilliantly quick but does he ha- is he the complete article not sure about that um, he was he was brilliant in Macau at the end of that year um, when he um, when he was um, he actually went to Carlin um, for the Macau Grand Prix, and he he led that race. Um, and um, I've been I've been really interested to see how he's done in his two years in Formula Two, and and pleased for him as well because um, yeah, he's a he's a good guy, and um, he he really seems to have um, turned a corner really, and 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 become a much better all round driver than he appeared to be in his F three days. I think I think your your points are very valid there, Marcus. I have to agree with all of those. Uh, he has to show this year now that he's that more rounded driver because that's the the bit that's been missing. One thing I will say that's very interesting in this situation with with Seth Kamara is um, obviously it's well known that Nick DeVries has been a McLaren junior through through his career, um, and there's been no sort of official announcement as to whether that's continuing this year or um, with the sort of pre-season team pictures and things like that. Seth Kamara was, you know, included in all of those, and there was there was no sign of Nick DeVries, so we're not really sure exactly what's going on there. But I think it's very interesting that McLaren have had a season of seeing what Seth Kamara is all about. They've had the data that Lando's been producing from from F2, and they've seen a direct comparison between Lando Norris and Sergei Seth Kamara, and they've been that impressed that they've taken him on as their you know test and development driver. So. There's clearly something. There's clearly talent there, and there's clearly something that McLaren have, have picked up. They needed someone to do the the simulator work that Lando's been doing for for the past two seasons, and the the person they've picked, um, they've not gone with someone who's been. Well, it looks like they've not gone gone with someone who has been a pre-existing McLaren junior and Nick De Vries. They've gone with Set Kamara instead. So, 
Um, the the other big question mark for for Seta Camera this year is the switch to Dams because he was with Carlin, the the team's champions last year. A team he knows well, as you said, Marcus from from Macau. He knew them from there as well. So uh, a team that he's got to know fairly well over the past few years, and now he switched into a completely new a completely new team. And after the t- after the first test, he he was completely left scratching his head because he couldn't believe how different the, the Dams drove to the Carlin car. He just he said it felt like a different car almost that that he was driving. So. Um, very interesting to talk about his mental sort of situation because he he he, st- he taught me through his sort of thought process while while this was happening and he got in the car and he wasn't particularly quick in in Hareth when he was in the car to start with uh, and at this point he was thinking I need to tell the engineers to change this I need to tell them to change that I need to tell them you know I need I need all these things changing for for the car to work properly and then he said I sat back and I thought Alex Albon set three poles in a row sort of uh, Bahrain aside the three next races Albon was on pole each round and he said if the car was good enough for Alex Albon to put it on pole for, for three races in a row then it's clearly a good car and the prob- maybe not the problem but the, the, the solution here is for me to adapt my driving style so he spent the rest of the Hareth test adjusting to the car you know different driving styles and stuff like that and then when we came to the Barcelona test pumped in a fastest time on the second day is looking a lot more confident in the car the race pace is fantastic arguably better than the the than ART if not on par and the only sort of the only issue looking at the start of the season is the qualifying pace but the other thing we've got to remember there is when you're looking at testing conditions are a lot cooler in Barcelona than they're going to be in Bahrain so I think you know we're going to see a little bit of moving around from what we saw in testing through to Barcelona through to Bahrain um, but yeah, I think Setkamara is definitely uh, an interesting prospect, similar to De Vries in the sense that he's got to show that he can provide the consistency. Had a lot of bad luck with reliability at the start of last season and that kind of threw him off a bit. But he came back after the broken hand, came back very strongly after that, after the Monaco crash um, and, and showed a bit of mental fortitude there. So uh, there's definitely question marks over him. There's no doubt about that. He's not the finished product and he's not ready to go to F1 right now. But over the course of this season, he's got the he's got the chance to prove with with that McLaren backing and them knowing that he's got the pace. They've you know he's really got that chance to impress this year and show that he's you know he's ready for that next step. So you're happy with De Vries as your number one favourite and Setkamara as your as your number two? I think looking at De Vries last year, if he can replicate the the, the flashes of speed that he showed. Um, and you know, mated to the fact that he's driving the the best car from last year with a load of data from George Russell, um, you know, you have to make him the title favourite on that basis. Um, it was a bit of a scrappy season for Alex Albon. Really, he could have been, you know, he, he could have been much closer to that to that title fight, and he could have pushed George a lot further if Dams have had a few better weekends than they did have. So for me, I, I still think that car is the best, and the combination of, you know, Nick potentially looking how he is in testing look seems seems to be on form uh, and if he can replicate that I still think he has to be the favourite but I think that there's more upside to Sergio Setacamera if that makes sense Well we've had a good chat about three drivers there so we've got Nick DeVries' favourite for ART Sergio Setacamera at Dams as the uh, as the kind of number two favourite and then we've covered Mick Schumacher who's at Prima but there's a, there's a lot of other drivers worthy of note Marcus one of those is um, a driver you know well from F3 a race winner in European F3 in fact if memory serves he's one at Poe isn't it? Guan Yu Zhou Yes I went I wondered who you were introducing there. Yeah, <laughs> I, you, you, look, you look puzzled, <laughs> yeah. and I thought, hmm, yeah. have I complete? Have I, complete I wonder training? how many of the current F2 field have won at Poe. That's yeah. a good question. <laughs> Probably very few. I mean, actually, if, if you just want to say one at Poe, you need to take Formula Renault uh, performances. And, uh, I, remember seeing, I, re- I remember seeing Nick de Vries um, uh, absolutely wiping the floor with everyone in uh, Formula Renault race in Poe. Well, he's a Renault junior driver. He's got the hope of a nation on his on his shoulders in, in China. So he's a driver that's attracting a, a lot of interest. And I guess his career up to now has been maybe not quite lived up to the, the interest there's been in him, but he has shown some some flashes of, of real speed. 
Yeah, he's he's um he's a quick he's a quick lad. Um, he he came um into the start of last season in Formula Three, which was his third, <coughs> um, with with a win at Poe in the first round, so which obviously made him the championship leader. Um, but um, when when I say third season of Formula Three, uh, obviously everyone's going to say, well, he spent a long time in that category, then didn't he? But um, but he actually only had one year of car racing before. He moved into F three, which which was um, a season predominantly in the predominantly in the Italian F four championship. Um, I, th- from memory, um, I think the the intention um, was to do a couple of years in F four, um, but the first season went so well and he finished runner up um, in the championship that it kind of carried him into F3 almost before he was ready, really. So what we what we saw in his first season of F3 was a very rough and ready um, Guan Yu Zhu who um, occasionally would, would bang it on the podium, but um, a lot of the time was buried in the middle of the field. Um, and he did, um, he did develop a lot um, over the remainder of his time in the category. And, and people forget, actually, that he was a proper title contender um, over the first half of last season in the European F3 Championship, albeit about half the field were <laughs> because of um, what we've talked about before. So um, he he was up there. Um, maybe his consistency wasn't as good as you might expect from a title contender, but on his good days, he was scoring enough points to, to keep him at the front of that um, title battle. Um, then middle of the season just at the point when um, Schumacher's form started to become really good. He got involved um, in the most ridiculous run of incidents, none of which were his fault. Um, he was just he was just Mr. Unlucky, really. Um, wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and that, that firmly knocked him out of uh, knocked him out of the hunt. So um so I'm pleased to see him moving up to Formula Two. After after three years in F three, you'd probably say he's ready. Um, he can perform well because um, the Virtuosi team, who um, Jack's had more recent experience of, but um, but I've known uh, Andy Roach, the team boss there, for for almost thirty years now, and um, he's that was um, back in his David Sears Motorsport days in Formula Vauxhall Lotus, um, and um, before then he was engineering at Pacific Racing when they ran JJ Leto to the British F3 Championship in 1988 and then he spent a long time at Supernova in Formula 3000 when, which basically was David Sears Motorsport but just with under a different name um, when they were the absolute dominant force <coughs> um, so um, Virtuosi have been running Russian time for the past four or five years and well, that's the thing, they're a name that look unfamiliar yeah. but actually they've got acres of F2 experience that, that's right yeah I mean they're they're really um, top notch organisation and um, just the, the majority of casual casual Formula 2 followers will just not not know the name of really so um, and alongside him he's got uh, a driver who I think is really underrated Luca Giotto and I, I remember when uh, he was battling for the GP3 title with Esteban Ocon in 2015 and and yeah, and and everyone was thinking, oh, there must be something funny going on there if if Giotto can be battling Esteban Ocon, who we know is really really talented for the championship. But um, for yeah, more, that's more fool us really because um, I think what what he's done in GP2 slash F2 since then has shown that he, he is a really um, decent prospect 
Um, he's massively underfunded from what I understand and it's always a bit of a struggle for him. But um, but pleased to see him in there. And I think um, uh, there's no question that Giotto is going to lead that team. Um, but he's going to probably be a very, very good um, benchmark for uh, for Joe Guanyuzhu to measure himself up against. Well, Luca was in that, that team with Russian time in 2017 when they won the team's championship. So Luca knows that team very well. Speaking to Andy Roach, as you mentioned before, uh, a little bit earlier in the week, and he he thinks Luca Giotto should be a top three prospect, which you have he's to... He's a race winner in uh, this level. He didn't win a race last year, did he? But he's, he's got a couple of wins to his name. Had a difficult season with Campos last year, and I don't think that car was, was ready to be uh, you know on the podium, really. We saw one race where he had a battle with Alex Alban, and uh, the car just et its tyres completely. So I don't think that... That car was ready and uh, Luca was got very frustrated towards the second half of the season. I think that um, you know they weren't a bit closer to the front and that he was sort of maybe felt like he was wasting a, another year. And uh, this is a big year for him now to come to Virtuosi. Andy Roach seems to think he'll, he'll be in the top three. I think he's got to prove that if he you know if he wants to take his career further. Um, but the, the one thing I will say about Virtuosi is with with Russian time last year they and and to a certain extent with you know I was going to mention Tadasuki Makino you know very well uh, Marcus as well. Um, you know, he did very little racing outside of Japan and still didn't know many of the tracks when he was in F2 last year and, and was thrown in massively at the deep end far too soon, in, in my opinion. But still, as the Russian time lads like to tell me, he'd won just as many races as Lando Norris last year because he won the <laughs> he won the Monza feature race with that outrageous strategy call where they started on the on the medium tyres and you know, he was ahead of the race he was at the head of the race from fourteenth on the grid before anyone had even made a pit stop. The the strategy was that good. So um the, the point being there that the team know how to bring on a driver who's inexperienced, uh, maybe doesn't know the tracks or is, is new to the championship. And they did the same with Artem Markolov. He spent five years in, in F2, but came in as a pretty green rookie, didn't he, at the start of that? And, you know, I think that's where um, Joey, as we, as we as everyone calls him, Guan Yu Zhu, um, is really going to benefit from that experience that that team's got. It's the same personnel that Russian time have had for, for many years now. And I think that's a, you know, a situation, a team that he's really going to excel in because they're so used to bringing on drivers who maybe aren't the finished product when they come in. But when they leave, they're, the, they're a better driver and a better prospect. And, and that's why that team actually is a, a bit of an under-the-radar under pick for you know challenging for the championship. Joey should be in the top seven or, or six or seven, I would have thought, a, a lot of the season. Um, and, and if you believe what, what Andy Roach says, then Luca should be fighting for the championship. And it's difficult to, to prove, like, try and prove him wrong at this point, to be honest. Well, taking a slightly uh, scattergun approach to the rest of the field, I'm going to throw a few other names out there. We should talk about the other dams driver, Nicholas Latifi. Jack, he's a, a driver who has had some success at this level. Last year was, was disappointing. So are you seeing him as a credible threat or is he merely a sort of get a win on his day type of driver? Well, he's a, a driver who's got a lot of F1 experience now from his reserve drives, a lot of testing with like the likes of Racing Point. Switched this year to a Williams junior role, so I doubt he'd be learning much more with uh, his, his Williams outings than he would have done with his Racing Point ones last year. But uh, always well, of course, Lucifer, he was going to drive the Williams in Formula 1 testing but because of their late start he missed out exactly exactly so uh, not the, not the best start in that sense but the maybe the one thing to point out with Nicholas is that last season is uh, he put a lot of his uh, sort of his difficult season he put a lot of it down to his illness in pre-season testing which meant he lost he lost a lot of the running there and what actually happened this season was he completed more laps than anybody else in F2 so he's definitely not going to have that excuse later in the year if his performances aren't up to scratch but he showed a lot of a lot of pace in the second half of the season actually it looked like 
um, I spoke to him and we were we were trying to work out a, a phrase that described what had happened, but it was like something had clicked. I think was the one we we came to in the end. Something clicked uh, around Budapest, and his uh, his second half of the season was much stronger, pretty much on par with Alex Alban actually. The second half of the season, so much improved in that in that second half of the season. All his points were lost in the in the first half, and it was difficult to analyse what was going on because he'd been so quick at other times in his in his F2 career and, and you know, really fought for race wins and then suddenly he was just, you know, really at the back of the grid, especially in qualifying. So uh, the big step for him this year is going to be his qualifying performances. He needs to put himself in a better position to fight for, you know, better positions by qualifying better, especially in F2 when you've got the reverse grid races. So uh, I think that's going to be the, the key target for him this year. So I was going to mention when you were talking about Sergio Sekamara, actually, that um, I think that would be quite interesting him up against... <clears throat> alongside Nick Latifi in the Dams lineup because um people yeah people have this perception of him as being uh, a rich boy because uh, you know a bit like Lance Stroll wealthy Canadian but he's actually really really quick on his day <clears throat> and and always has been throughout his career it's just a question of making those days more frequent um which he has been doing in the last couple of years of his career and um you know going going back to his early days in F3 he was he was always super fast in the quick corners and uh, and quite good to watch. But um, but yeah, he's definitely not one to underestimate. He's got one of those qualities as well that some you know many other drivers don't really have and don't get used to, is that when he gets out front, he's very difficult to pass. And it you know one, if he's on pole or if he's start, he's got to the front of the pack, then you better believe it's going to be a difficult race if you want to win it because Nicholas is brilliant from the front of the race, controls races really well. So if he can, if like I said, if he can just qualify better, he'll be in such a better position to to really fight for proper points. And, and be a championship contender this year and he is the the third highest ranked last year of those returning so automatically kind of makes him a, a credible one let's have a little bit of a look at a grouping of drivers because plenty of the the leading gp3 drivers uh, are graduating this year you've got nikita mazepin at art callum islet's in the sauber junior team which is which is the shiraz team uh, antoine hubert who won the gp3 title at arden and giuliano alesi something of a, of a sunday race specialist for trident so those four all preeminent GP3 drivers. Which of those are you getting excited about, particularly Jack? Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think uh, some of those rookies are going to have really tough times this year. Uh, Giuliano Lazy at Trident, um, they, they were they were the back of the grid last year in terms of the constructors' championship points. So it's going to it's going to be difficult to expect too much of him. Trident obviously had that difficult season where they had that sort of horrendous mix of, of Argentini and, and Santino Ferrucci ending in Santino it's quite uh, good fun though that, for, for a while it was good to watch probably, and not, it for was, the, probably it was, not for those involved it was good to watch from the outside but it, it tore that team apart effectively uh, you know not just from that incident but from well before that incident the the tension in the team was was awful and uh, there's some really lovely people who run that Trident team and it was it was horrible to see what was happening to be honest but uh, Giuliano uh, I'm not getting particularly excited about I mean I love the surname I love the fact that he has the same helmet as Jean that, that's really cool when you see that car going around and you, it takes you back a little bit but only only won reverse grid races uh, last year so I'm not too uh, not too not expecting too much from, from Giuliano in his first season of F2 similarly we've got Arden who've got a, a rookie lineup in Antoine Hubert and, and Tatiana Calderon um, I spoke to Antoine earlier in the week for our, for our F2 preview which comes out today um, and and he obviously discussed the situation Arden were in. They had a difficult year last year. Um, Maxi Gunther won the the race at Silverstone, and uh, Marcus, you would have dealt with uh, Maxi at great length in 2017 when he had that fight with Lando Norris. And it's kind of at the start of the season, I was expecting those two to both be on a fairly similar footing coming into F2. Certainly not one at the front of the grid and one at the back. And uh, you know a lot of that was down to to the Arden team. 
Um, you know, the drivers did have to take some responsibility for what happened there last year with, with Narefu Kazumi and the team as well. But a lot of that was down to, to Arden and they've signed this hot partnership with HWA for this year, which they're hoping is going to drive them forward. But HWA, not particularly experienced in, in single seaters and also the relationship was sort of signed quite late. So there's not been like a, you know, there's not been a six month lead time of HWA engineers kind of helping out Arden here. This has been a very sort of quick thing that's happened uh, rapidly. So Arden definitely really struggling for qualifying pace at the minute, which was very obvious from testing. So, you know, if you're struggling for qualifying pace as much as they are, they're really going to struggle to score good results. But Antoine's a very, uh, I think, systematic driver would be the word I would use to describe him. He likes going through the data. Um, he's never happy with his own performance he's always analyzing everything that he's done and you know some people say that he was in gp3 too long and you know if he was gonna um you know make a proper career he would have come out of gp3 quicker but i actually think the the lessons he learned and the the maturity that he showed in gp3 last year has has, has shown that while it's not ideal to spend so many years in gp3 and and so many years on the junior single seater ladder i think he's learned a lot of lessons and you know he could be he could be one to watch if the machinery st- starts to perk up sort of second half of the season and then we had Callum Eilat. Do you want to talk about Callum Eilat, Marcus? He's, he's someone you know very well. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, out, out Former of, guest on the podcast. Yes, exactly. <coughs> out of out of those GP3 graduates coming in, I'd I'd say um I'd say Callum Eilat is is easily the the possessor of the most natural talent. Um it's probably a question of uh using that natural talent to um put it into place to get results. Um because his yeah, <coughs> he's he's said it himself that his formula 3 form he was he was incredibly quick sometimes but lacked consistency um and that's a a pretty fair assessment really and then um gp3 last year he said it was funny that um he was not very quick but was super consistent now i i can't believe um it can be as simple as that that a, a driver has gone in one year from being quick and inconsistent to consistent and not quick um there, there there will be um underlying reasons behind the form that he showed in in gp3 um but yeah we saw him back in f3 and macau at the end of last year with carlin and he was right, right up there um throughout practice and qualifying it went a bit adrift in the in the race but um he yeah, i think he's i think he's super talented and if his potential can be harnessed um he is a proper contender it's just a question of doing that um he's at um yeah the Sauber Junior team as you mentioned is Chirouz who they're a decent team aren't they but um but they've not um well they've, <clears throat> they haven't um had become a top team at this level yet um that's not not to say they won't be um I'm not quite sure I can see that happening this year um but um I think yeah, Callum Eilat is someone who's probably capable of some some really good results, but we wouldn't expect a championship challenge. Um, you talked about Antoine Hubert, Jack, who I I really like the way he goes about things because I I don't think he's the fastest driver on the planet, but um, he is very very methodical with the way he does things. And um, yeah, we we had him in the European F3 Championship for a season, and and he was a properly good contender and and won a race in that. Um, but um, one that we didn't um, mention up to now other than your brief recap of the GP3 graduates was Nikita Mazepin and we, we can't forget that Okay, his F3 form was um, pretty patchy but 
he was a proper GP3 title contender last year and um, and uh, and he's in alongside Nick De Vries at ART. So so he's gonna he's gonna get some good results. And um, from what I've from what I've heard, he's um, since he moved out of F3, he's been working so much harder on his racing. And uh, yeah, we we saw we saw he had talent in F3, but he's now applying that and you saw the result last year i think it's going to be a learning year for nikita he's got that you know he got that george russell data to go off and a very experienced f2 driver in nick devries alongside him so i think this is going to be a year where you know he can he can sort of not take a back seat because i think that's a you know that's offensive towards him because he will be very quick but it's it's a year where he can take in what's around him he can he can learn a lot from what's around him and, and you know the year after he should be a, a proper championship contender and you know i think we, we, all those drivers we talked about are linked there, aren't they? We had uh, Hubert Mazapan, um, Jake Hughes, who's uh, doing a FIA F3 season, was the other teammate, and then Callum Eilert. And I think if you look back at ART through through GP3 history, they won pretty much every title apart from apart from the one with Carlin. But there's usually a couple of drivers who are very quick who sort of suffer from that being in the 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 confines of a four car team that's so competitive and I think Callum and, and Jake were probably the two that got that last year and, and Nikita and Antoine would be able, were able to to keep up their consistency through the season and, and seem to seem to have that balance right and we're, we're just able to compete on a on a weekend by weekend basis so it's uh, Callum's got a lot to prove this year actually but um, he seems to think the F2 car will suit his style a lot better than the, the GP3 car uh, and he was quick enough in GP3 as it was. So if he, if he thinks he's going to be some sort of massive step forward in F2, then I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that. And Sharus, it was their first season in, in F2 last year, and F2 was a massive step up for Sharus. Although they did do World Series by Renault, you know, a lot of their recent stuff has been in, in F4, and now they've got an F3 team as well. So they're trying to build a proper ladder of junior single-seater championship uh, teams. They've got a lot of people from Van Armersport, haven't they, who operate at, at Sharus and run the team. Um, there's some new people in there as well. It's not all Van Armersport personnel, but but some. Uh, who are experienced in F3 so um, they, they've got a good chance and that Sauber link up is uh, a lot more it's a lot more of a heavy investment from, from Sauber than maybe Ferrari last year they had the Ferrari name on the car last year but I don't think that, that really brought a lot to the team whereas I think this, this Sauber deal Sauber are intent on um, giving as much as they can to these drivers and, and really helping them move on so they're going to be an interesting prospect they won two races with Antonio Fuoco last year in their first season of F2 so we can only hope that they're going to step forward again as well and uh, uh, we mentioned Correa at the top of the show, and we weren't going to talk about him too much. But he got a very um, he got a bum rap in in GP3 last year. He was he was ahead of David Beckman in the points before Beckman made a mid season switch to Trident and instantly started winning races. So I think uh, he, he Juan Manuel Correa stayed at Yenza for the whole for the whole season um, and definitely got a bum rap there. So he, he's a very inexperienced driver, and it's going to be very interesting to see how he goes up against uh, a rapid teammate in in Callum Eilat. Well, one team we've mentioned as teams champions is Carlin, but we haven't talked about their drivers. They've got Louis Delatraz coming back for another year after finishing 10th last year. And also Nobuharu Matsushita returning to, to F2. He's been, he's been here before, remember, and putting it on the front row for his, his debut weekend. But things kind of went downhill from there. It had a sort of patchy time. He did have his moments, but a, a quick driver couldn't quite get it all together. Jack, what do you think of that lineup? Do you think either of those two drivers are going to be able to step up and get the kind of results we'd expect from a, a team's champion team? was very impressed by Louis Delatraz's pace in, in testing, actually. Um, Louis, very likeable lad, son of John Dennis, the uh, Formula One driver, and uh, he's had a lot of experience in, in different junior single-seater format formulas now. He has a lot of super license points, um, but now he has to step up and prove that he can 
drive onto Formula One because that's what he's wanted to do. He, he's identified Formula One as his target. He drove the, the Haas Formula One car in the Abu Dhabi test at the end of last year, so has some experience of a, a pretty current Formula One car. Uh, the the big thing for him is that making that step is going to be quite difficult. You know, he did the season with Sharu, so we've talked about already. It was their first season in F2. This is going to be Louis' first first season with a proper team in F2. Um, in the sense of when I say proper, that's that's not meant to sound, sound disrespectful to Sharus, but a team that won the championship last year and is clearly a, a proper outfit. So Louis got a, a good teammate in 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 Nobu. Um, he's got to deliver on that testing pace now. It, it's difficult because we didn't really see the best of of Louis Delatraz last year, and it's it's difficult to pick out one thing he needs to work on because really he needs to work on on pretty much everything. But also, I think he had a bit of a you know, he could have done a bit better at Sharus last year. Um, quite a bit of bad luck, got taken out of quite a few races, um, had some technical problems. So things didn't come together for him. Um, he he seems to think that he's going to be a championship contender this year. He genuinely believes that. And uh, looking at his pace in testing, you have to say he's going to be, you know, a top five contender for sure. And then Nobu seems to be a little bit behind Louis at this point after testing, but has had a bit of time away, as you discussed. Um, and, and coming back into the fold in this new car, it's going to be different for him. He's got used to get driving the, the turbo. The car's heavier with a halo. Um, so in that sense, he's he's had a bit more of a intensive pre-season testing in the sense that he's got a lot to learn, whereas Louis's been able to work on his on his race pace, on his qualifying pace, just sharpen those things a little bit more that, that he already knew from last year. So it's a very dynamic and interesting lineup that one and one that's got the you know maybe people don't know Louis too well um but but he's definitely someone to watch for for, for top five finishes and nobody we don't really know it's going to be uh maybe a slow start to the season for him possibly but I think towards the second half of the year he should be should be in contention for wins can I make a prediction <laughs> you can <laughs> well I uh, <clears throat> this is this is a, a little bit dependent on uh Matsushita getting up to speed in in as you say a car that he's not raced before obviously he's had plenty of experience in the old GP2, F2, and then Super Formula last year. Um, but Carlin won the team's championship last year. Um, looking down the entry list, I don't see any team with two surefire contenders, whereas both Carlin drivers, I think, are properly solid top five or six in the championship. And and I think Carlin could well win the team's championship again. Very well-run team, um, really well-organised, good engineering, and two... Very solid drivers. I think stronger than Dams, though, surely. D- Dams is a good lineup. It's 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 a. It, we've already talked about this already. It's a it's a very equal field. I think is probably the best word to use. There's a, a lot of good drivers in in a lot of good teams. I think um, one thing I didn't mention about Louis was he sort of rekindles his relationship with Stuart King at Carlin, who um, engineered him at Fortec to this runner-up spot in, in World Series by Renault. So he's back with an engineer that he knows well and has had a lot of success with. Um, but yeah. Marcus, I completely agree. I think uh, Carlin won the team's championship last year and they did that through having consistent finishes. You know, arguably at, at times their drivers were better than their finishes, but they, they you know, they offered consistent results. Um, didn't make too many mistakes. Few mistakes in pit stops last year. Um, but if they can, you know, if they can nail that down, um, it'll be uh, very interesting to see. And I think there's, there's always that uncertainty over um, Sergio and Nicholas in the sense of, you know, we saw Nicholas the first Nicholas Atifi the first half of last season. He you know he went missing a bit, and you know for whatever reason that was, it, it didn't you know didn't yield results. And we've talked about Sergio needing to to match his 
outright speed with consistency. Whereas I think Louis and, and Nobu are just really solid drivers, as Marcus said, who are just going to, from the from the word go, they're going to get good results straight away. And you know, if you're talking about a team's championship, you're talking about consistency. And I think they might not be the fastest lineup, those two, but they're definitely the most consistent in, in looking at the sheet of paper. Now, we're not going to talk about every single driver. There's any others you want to talk about? Obviously, Jack Aitken at Campos he had a disappointing season last year, but you know he's a driver we've seen win championships in the past. A strong one, Jordan King, coming back with MP Motorsport. After- Likely. We don't know that one yet. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll cut it out if we don't. <laughs> Jordan King coming back with, with MP Motorsport. Tatiana Calderon was mentioned in passing. Obviously, she's Sauber affiliated, needing to kind of take a step forward from the, the level achieved in, in GP3, I think it's fair to say. Any of those group of drivers people are excited about seeing how they do? I'm I'm interested to see how Jack Aitken gets on at Campos Racing. And uh, you might have been wondering what this scrap of paper here is that I, that I brought in. But, nope. Um, no, I wasn't right. interested. No, didn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it the, no, I'm mailing it like it's the yeah. Jack Aitken so, Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> so he, he had a, yeah, you, could, you could say it was a nightmare season at ART alongside George Russell last year. Finished 11th in the championship. Um, you'd say that's that's pretty grim, really. Um, but when when you look back, um, you, you have to go back to 2012 to find the last time ART's second driver finished in the top eight in the championship. There's always that they are the the, the absolute um, dream team to go to if you want to be a championship contender but there's always someone in the other car who struggles and if you only have to go back one year um one year beyond jack to 2017 alex album finished 10th in the championship um and um he went on to dams last year and obviously launched himself to a formula one career so um i know i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say ART can only run one car properly because that's just a lazy thing that people would would jump to conclusions about but but it is quite a funny quite a funny run um, going back to Daniel Abt in 2013 finishing 22nd in the championship and we know he's a bit better than that that is a good so. scrap of paper actually <laughs> that's a good uh, a good uh, fact you've brought to, to proceedings but, but um, yeah he's going to Campos um, he's, he's re-linking up with uh, an engineer German engineer called Jan Suman who he worked with at Koirinen in Formula Renault and uh, um, Jan Suman wasn't on Jack's car there but he he is from what I understand in Formula Two, and he's um, he's moved up from Campos's what was GP3 team last year, and um, they actually, I would say, uh, points per pounds, uh, they probably outperformed everybody um, in that category last year, and when you consider the budget they were up against, so that's that's going to be quite um, quite a good thing. Jack's Jack's a very um, cerebral driver, um, yeah, very. Um, very intelligent, exactly the kind of person who can combine well with a good engineer. And I think we haven't seen the best of him yet in um, in Formula 2. Um, and moving on to Jordan King, a um, bit of a funny step back from IndyCar, but um, he's going to MP Motorsport, which hasn't um, had a very good track record in the category, um, mainly because either the drivers haven't been up to it um, since since I had Oliver Rowland, or the budgets haven't been in place, or just a combination of that. Um, but Jordan um, is very very friendly with the engineering staff at MP, which is effectively the old Manor Competition Formula Renault team um, that he took his really his first proper steps in car racing with, and he had um, had a very good time with them in 2011, 2012. 
um, and uh, he always ver- works very well with them. And um, and I think this, um, okay, maybe he's not going to challenge for the championship. Um, he probably even if he was running up at the front, he probably wouldn't do anyway because he's got to miss a couple of rounds, for example, Monaco because it clashes with the Indy 500. Um, but um, but you wouldn't you wouldn't want to discount them from some from, from some decent performances this year. It's a very Murray situation that one, isn't it? We had Roberto Murray, obviously a Formula, Formula One driver, um, you sort of compete with MP Motorsport last year and, and delivered a few really good results, actually. There was a couple of results that were taken away from them, actually. Um, the the podium in Paul Ricard for, for Roberto springs to mind. Um, it's a, it's a very seems like a very similar situation. You've got a driver who seems to be quite overqualified for that role coming back and giving the giving the team a bit of a hand. Hopefully it can help them step forward because they, they did struggle last year, MP, and um, no doubt that they, they had probably a higher um, number of technical issues than quite a lot of other teams actually they especially on Ralph Boschung's car for most of the season so they they, they weren't dealing with uh, the, the optimal machinery in that sense last year but hopefully uh, someone of Jordan King's experience and someone who like you said who, who will gel into that team instantly know all the team really well um, something Roberto Murray probably didn't do as as well um, you know Jordan will be straight back into the fold there and it'll be like uh, It'd be like rewinding five or six years, wouldn't it? I imagine straight away. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they go. Well, briefly, Jack. Now we've uh, run through the field. We should just talk about the the car problems. We had a lot of those last year. In particular, we saw cars slow off the line. Clutch was quite tricky. Supposedly that's been improved now. So, what are we expecting from the F two car this year, both in terms of starts and their wider functionality? Should we say? Well, it said a lot, didn't it, that at the end of the season when George Russell had won the title in the in the press conference afterwards, he, he decided to focus on the problems of the F2 car and not look forward to the, to his F1 career. That he you know he signed a deal with Williams, won the F2 championship, and the first thing he did was call out the the fact that F2 needed to improve their car. He, he called the the start procedure absolutely woeful were his words, um, and he said they absolutely must be fixed for for next season. So. Um, they've attempted to pr- improve those start problems. They they did all the way through last year. We had the the instance where the FIA uh, dictated that they had to have rolling starts for two races. So uh, they they were making improvements all the way through the year, bringing software updates and uh, part updates on a, on a number of occasions as well. Um, I think it all stemmed back to the fact that the car was introduced very quickly and didn't get a lot of testing before the season started. Um, you know, for for whatever reason, the car was was brought in that quickly and and the lead time was so short. Um, you know, F2 had a very difficult situation to deal with in the sense that you know the car wasn't performing well, and there wasn't a whole lot that they could they could do about it. They were kind of mired in a in a bit of a rut, and it was very difficult for them to fix. Saying that, they seem to have worked hard in the off season. Drivers, after testing, reporting that the the sort of updated start procedure is uh, much improved. I can only talk um, hypothetically because Formula Two refused to outline the improvements that they've made to us, so we don't know exactly what the changes are in an official capacity but from what the drivers have said there's a, a centimeter more travel on the clutch which makes the the clutch easier to move obviously you've got a bit more travel in the clutch when on, on, on the bike point so theoretically it should be easier to manage that bike point and bring in the power better we've got mandated gear ratios for this year so we've got a shorter first gear which should give more power because the main problem last year was a lack of torque you've got a turbocharged engine introduced and the turbo lag you know, turbo not kicking in until higher up in the rev range, not enough power down down low. Um, and also the clutch was, uh, when the when the drivers would pull the clutch on the steering wheel, if they, for example, if they engaged 80% 
the the clutch would engage 90% and then come back to 80. So we have the situation where the clutch was going too far and then coming back and the drivers were stalling. Um, so it was a difficult situation. Many Some of the teams were unaffected. Louis Delachaz didn't have any stalls for, for Charouse last season, but uh, the majority did have problems and it was definitely something that needed to be worked on. So it's a bit it, worrying when you're picking out a driver who didn't have any stalls as the exception. You've you've said it all there, Ed. Unfortunately for for, for the drivers who were doing last year. Luckily, um, it appears that in in most cases the the cream rise rise to the top last year, and you know we did get the the right result in the championship, and it didn't affect that too much. Even though George Russell could have been even further ahead, uh, given the number of problems that he had, especially in the first half of the season. But it looks like they've they've worked hard on that. Um, only time will tell. And the thing is, they they really can't afford to have uh, a repeat of last year. It, it, it they really can't afford it because. You know, it, it was bad enough last year when you had uh, Lando Norris and, and George Russell pointing out the the problems. But this year we've got Mick Schumacher and and Guan Yu Zhu, two massively important people for Formula One. Um, you know, whether they're important to to people watching on from a from afar is, is almost irrelevant. the The fact is that almost certainly the the higher ups at F one will identify these two uh, drivers as as future stars because of their their relative backgrounds. So. Mick, obviously with the the Schumacher name, there's no need for any explanation there. That's a massive name for F1. The Ferrari link is really big. He's a Ferrari junior driver, so F1 really need him to get to F1 for the for the publicity value and for the you know for the for the stardom that that he should reach. And then you've got Guan Yu Zhu, who represents a, a massive Chinese market, which F1 has tapped into with the Chinese Grand Prix, but could do so much more in in that marketplace and with a driver like. Guan Yuzhu, um, you know, if he can force his way into a, a, a seat, um, he's got a, a very perfect link actually with Renault, who are really pushing that Chinese market at the minute and trying to, you know, put themselves out there. So they're they're marketing him as well. They're interested in pushing his his, his vision as well. So if we get to a point where we've got more car issues and we've got these two mega stars in F2 who are constantly being affected by these changes, it's going to cause massive problems for Formula Two. So I think most likely they've worked very very hard over the winter, although they won't tell us. Um, and I think the the chances are the the car's going to be much improved. They've had a lot more time to get the car together, and we've had you know a, a relatively smooth six days of, of pre-season testing and the the three days of the post-season test as well. well. It sounds like hopefully those problems are very much of the past. Uh, well, thanks very much, Jack Benyon and Marcus Simmons, for your uh, insight into what should be a, a fascinating season. It all kicks off in Bahrain this weekend, so do check allsport.com for all the updates and news from that. Jack Benyon will be bringing you all the latest check out our plus subscriber area where for a small fee you can read the world's best motorsport journalist on everything from formula one to wrc to nascar to indycar formula e the lot have a look at sister titles motorsport.com f1 racing magazine out monthly and motorsport news out every wednesday if you fancy a flutter download the pit stop betting app thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another auto sport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.